your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around the left side. He's got a first down, 35-30, Wandale 25-20, 15-10-5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome to another edition of Sports Nightly here on a hot Tuesday night. We're definitely into the hot times of summer, aren't we? Another warm day out there today. Hopefully, if you're working outside doing things during the day, you're staying hydrated. That's certainly a key to be able to do that. I want to remind everybody, coming up on Friday, our greatest games, we're going to go back to that 1983 season. We had one of these a couple of weeks ago where we had the opening game of that season with the Huskers playing Penn State at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Nebraska rolled the Nittany Lions, who were in the top five. Huskers kept up a magical season, and we're going to head to the end of that year, the Oklahoma matchup on November 26th, the Sooners game, as Nebraska trying to keep their perfect season alive. We're going to reminisce about that a little bit later on in the hour with Mike Babcock of Hale Varsity. Uh, That was a tremendous battle with Nebraska and Oklahoma, as most of those were during that era of college football. And the pressure was certainly on the Huskers, the undefeated season, the number one national ranking, trying to keep it clean against your arch rival who would love nothing more than to spoil your year. And that was not a great year for Oklahoma football, uh, but they still had some talented football players. We'll reminisce about that game with Mike Babcock coming up a little bit later on in the hour. Um, that, that team, I, I've got an affinity for that 83 team because in, in my eyes, that is one of the top five Husker football teams of all time. Of course, it ended with that try for two in the Orange Bowl against Miami on January the 2nd. Nebraska number one in the country. You kick the PAT, you probably get voted the the national champion, and Tom Osborne gets his first title. We all know what happens. But that team was special, had weapons all over the field offensively with Turner Gill, Irving Fryer, Mike Rozier, Roger Craig was on that football team. You, you just had tremendous football players up and down the lineup. And so, I mean, you just go back and look at some of the scores. They put up 69 against Colorado, 51 against K-State, 72 against Iowa State, 67 against Kansas. Just eye-popping numbers. So I, I, I have a real affinity for that 83 football team. And so we'll talk about it with Mike a little bit later on in the hour. And then you can hear back to that Oklahoma matchup coming up on Friday night. Brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery. Speaking of Oklahoma football, you know, they they play their Red River rivalry every year with Texas in conjunction with the Texas State Fair. Well, the Texas State Fair isn't going to happen. They have called that thing off. But OU and Texas officials say, as of now, their game is still on. That certainly could change as we move closer to it. But OU-Texas still keeping their game on. To my knowledge, the first football game since COVID hits going to happen on Saturday in Kearney, Nebraska with the Shrine Bowl, Ben, and it's going to be televised by NET statewide. But I don't know that anybody else has had any kind of an all-star game or anything since COVID hit. They they, uh, did a temperature check with all 90 players in the game yesterday. Everybody was fine. Uh, They're practicing. And moving on, they're going to have some social distancing set up in the, the grandstands to um, keep people apart from each other. But unless I'm missing something, I don't think there's been a football game played in this country since we shut this thing down in March. 
Yeah, it was nice seeing those pictures circulate on on social media um, with those those boys and you know, getting worked out and getting in their uniforms and um, just kind of felt like like everything was right again. Uh, you know, just being able to to have football and and guys working out and. I know we've had workouts at the NCAA level, but as you said, an organized football game with a score, uh, it's been a long time. So, you know, the fact that, you know, they're, they're doing everything that they can to, to make the proper strides and make this thing happen, let's hope it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, it's going to catch some national attention, I think, too, because it is going to be the first organized football game played since COVID hit hit us all in mid-March. So a lot of eyes will be focused on Kearney, Nebraska, coming up on Saturday. You know, we really haven't delved into this conversation on Sports Alley about teams changing nicknames. Uh, it's obviously been out there. I know a lot of shows have dealt a lot about this, a lot of pressure right now on the Washington Redskins. I, I get that. I kind of understand that. To me, the term Redskins is not a team of a term of endearment for people. It seems like the momentum is going that the Redskins are going to change their nickname in the NFL. There's also been pressure put on the Cleveland Indians. Uh, the Atlanta Braves have come out today and said, no, we don't really have a plan to change our nickname. I had guys calling me today and they know I'm a big Chiefs fan, congratulating me on Patrick Mahomes and then saying, well, what's the new nickname of the Chiefs going to be? And, and I think the Chiefs is a little bit of a different topic because Chief is more of a position of, of honor. It's, it's a position of authority within uh, Indian culture. So I don't, I don't know that there's going to be I – mean, there may be pressure on the Chiefs. Now the Arrowhead Shop, yeah, I, I could see that maybe being something that needs to be dealt with. But, uh, you know – I, my, I guess one of the things, Ben, that I have is where does it stop? I saw today some reports that people want maybe the most famous golf tournament in the world that the Masters needs to be changed because Masters, now some say that it was named after mastering the golf, the game of golf. Other people say, no, it's a derogatory term to a master who's a slave owner, and they're in the deep south. I just don't know where we stop, where we draw the line with this thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously a very sensitive subject, um, but I I also feel like, you know, we live in a day and age where, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that that get offended with, uh, with certain things. What and not not even just related to race. Uh, you know, when when it comes to, um, you know, Greg, we talk a lot about college athletes and and what makes their decisions to want to transfer and um, you know things that happen or or don't happen or playing time or broken promises or whatever um you know i think that there is a lot of things that um that that are that are going on in society that that haven't been go- that haven't gone on in a long time meaning you know you think about um you know the the word offensive and i think this is a this is a time right now with the social injustice uh situation that we're dealing with here in the united states that that more than just blacks are feeling like they want to be heard. And, that, you know, this is a battle that the Native Americans have been fighting for a long time. This isn't anything new, uh, the fact that the Redskins' name was, was, uh, was brought up. But I think that with, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the social injustice to, to black people in America, the Native American population standing up, going, waving their hand, going, hey, what about us? Um, you know, and I feel like right now everybody's hypersensitive to 
the to the race issue, no matter no matter what the minority may be. Deshaun Jackson was in the news today for for remarks that he put on his Instagram that um, that Adolf Hitler had made, and so anti-Semitic chatter from him. And, and so I think like right now there are a lot of people who are. Um, using this opportunity that that there are a lot of open ears around the country for issues that they felt passionate about for a while and and now that instead of falling on deaf ears there are people out there that are listening and i do think that there comes a time greg we're on a little bit of a a, a slippery slope when it comes to uh where it stops because of how tradition rich sports are um you know, and, and how things can be misinterpreted, like the word masters. I, I can't imagine there's a golf tournament, uh, you know, that that has that meaning. And to me, that's, that's how I take it. Masters is, uh, you know, one of the prestigious golf tournaments for the best golfers in the world. I think the name kind of fits. But, you know, the word master in the southeast, especially in the state of Georgia, it, it's not impossible to see how – that could that could be seen as offensive to some people, but you know I'm of the mindset that you know when we see things like this that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years that that are are touchy subjects now, um, we're in danger of rewriting a lot of what what we are we we know as sports and, and sports franchises and sports tournaments, you know, the, and I feel like a lot of the people. Um, that are around the country that are in position to make these types of changes are in one of two camps. They're in the camps that, you know, I'm going to stick up for what I believe in, even though it may be politically incorrect and you're seeing a lot of backlash with those folks, or you are in a position of, you know, I want um, this to change and this to change. I want to get out in front to this and, um, you know, be a part of, of something revolutionary. So I, I kind of feel like it's just driving that stake further and further in and, and splitting up people, you know, on one side or the other even more. The more of that that this – let me put it to you this way. There are a lot of people in golf that had no idea or, or even a care in the world about the Redskin issue uh, with the Washington Redskins. They don't care about football, but now it's affecting their sport in golf. My point is every time that one of these situations is brought up, it's affecting more and more and more people. Right. And where they may not have had an opinion before, they're definitely going to have an opinion now. Yeah. Here's the, the, the Braves. I mentioned the Braves don't have a plan to change. They, they put out a, a statement today, quote, we have also held meetings with our Native American Working Group, which will collaborate with us on cultural issues, education, and community outreach to amplify their voices and show our fans they are still proudly here. The Atlanta Braves have a meaningful commitment to honor the Native American community, and we are excited about working together to ensure this happens. Uh, the team went on to say they have created an even stronger bond with various Native American tribes, both regionally and nationally, on matters related to the Braves and Native American culture. Uh, like I said off the top, I, I get it with the Redskins. To me, that seems pretty dicey to, to me. And yet, I know the Washington Post a couple of years ago did a poll in the Native American community, and it was overwhelming. No, we're not. Keep the name. We, we find pride in that. Um, so so they, they weren't offended by that. This has certainly hit a lot of communities. A lot of high schools have changed their mascots down through the years. 
A lot of them were related to Native American names. At the college level, we've seen changes made. Marquette used to be the Warriors. They've now changed their name. St. John's used to be, I think they were the Indians. Now they're the Red Storm. So uh, were they the Red Hawks? Now they weren't the Red Hawks. But um, they they made a name change at St. John's a few years ago. So we've dealt with this in the past. You're right. It's gotten a lot of attention, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement over the last month to now stretch it out to some of these other things. You just kind of wonder, I'm not sure where it stops. I mean, I mean, PETA could get involved, and I'd be happy that you have an animal as your mascot name. I mean, I, at what point do you just go, wow, we just we got to put a stop at some point in time? You're right, the Masters caught me off guard when I read a couple things about that today. But somebody draws a circle and makes a path, and they can they can connect some dots and go, you're in the Deep South. That land probably was a plantation at one time. Might even house slaves on with on the the grounds of, of the golf course that currently is there. So you can connect dots to make your argument fit your fit your mold. To me, Greg, the 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 one that that is, you know, the ultimate example. Like like I think one end of the spectrum, and it wouldn't shock me if we got there at some point if this ball keeps rolling. What about the most popular sports franchise? in the United States of America that's arguably one of the most patriotic, and that's the New York Yankees. You know, if you think about back to the Civil War, you know, Yankees was was a term of the North, and, you know, I feel like you can trace roots to a lot of different origins. The Minnesota Vikings, like, I'm sure there were things that the Vikings did back when they were discovering America and being barbarians that were offensive to one group of people or another, a group of countrymen, uh, a specific village. You know, that could be seen as offensive. Let's change the Minnesota Vikings. Um, You know, I don't know. I just feel like if we're going to start dissecting the roots of, of all the mascots, the Raiders, Right? Isn't that implying looting or some type of barbaric behavior? Yeah. You know, I think uh, you you could you could literally nitpick at about every single one to, to to where somebody could be offended by it at some point down the road. So, I mean, I I'm with you. I think I, I mean Redskins is as blatant as it gets. Right? I mean, you you are calling out uh, the color of somebody's skin on your on your team name that I, I'm with you on that one a hundred percent but I think if you're having to if you're having to draw lines if you're having to you know follow a roadmap to get to where uh, it is an offensive to 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 a, to somebody at some point down the line it, you're in danger of just going to the red team to the blue team to the green team I, I just think you know it's just it's a dangerous it's a dangerous spot right now I, and and i think everybody's just kind of hypersensitive to to what's going on in our society and that's a great thing it's a great thing that people have their ears open and and trying to change society and the way that that certain groups of people specifically blacks are treated in this country um, to stand up for their rights, stand up for the for what they believe in, for part of what makes this country great, and and to to keep this momentum going to achieve your goal, but at the same time, um, there comes an out of bounds line, and I feel like with with some of the conversations, that's a very small percentage of people, but you hear that 
the, what's branched off the Redskins, uh, you know, the Washington Redskins. You mentioned the Masters thing. And, 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 and the, you know the longer that this goes on, the more down the rabbit hole people are going to go. And, and it is, it's worrisome for, for sports fans that are fans of, of teams that, that have been for, you know, decades and decades. So, yeah, it is, it is definitely something that, uh, that have perked the ears of a lot of people that, that maybe didn't have as strong of, a, of a, an opinion before. Don't you think part of this is because we've all been shut down? I mean, idle minds, you can wander off. I mean, nobody's had anything to really do. Nobody's had anything to really get excited about. The sports world has been basically turned off for three months. Now we have golf back. We have NASCAR back. We're getting some of the other ones back in a few weeks. But it's almost like because nobody has anything to get distracted with by watching events and watching games, they're now doing all this. I think that factors into this a little bit, too, that people have just been sitting around and going, okay, what can I think up? Then you had the, the, the racial uprising a month ago with, the, with all that and then protests going on, and now it's kind of bubbled out to this as well. So it, it's an, we certainly are living in a very interesting time. And, uh, again, we've not really touched on this really at all on Sports Hunting. We're delighted now to welcome on board the program Mike Babcock of Hale Varsity. Good evening, Mr. Babcock. How you doing? I'm sure you're missing some baseball right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. It uh, takes some adjustment, that's for sure. Uh, but everybody's in the same situation, so, uh, yeah, you deal with it. Was your neighborhood lively over the weekend with some fireworks? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, It was very lively uh uh, from the day before when uh, fireworks were on sale until um, about uh, midnight on Sunday, I guess they were still shooting them off. I think it's, it should quiet down now, though, thank goodness. I, I love this time of year, but I'm kind of glad when it gets over. My So is my dog, ready to have that move on behind them. Well, we wanted to kind of go down memory lane with you a little bit. One of my, And I said this before the break, one of my favorite Husker teams was that 83 team, the, the scoring explosion team that just steamrolled so many opponents during the year. We're going to play back Friday night, the final game of the regular season as the Huskers traveled to Owen Field and Norman to take on Oklahoma. D- just your thoughts about that, before we kind of dive into the game a little bit, your thoughts about that 83 Husker team? Well, you know, um, tremendous uh Tremendous offense, obviously, and they, they had the scoring explosion. I think the poster, uh, the, uh, the Husker poster that came out, the schedule poster, already had that name on there, uh, and it had uh, big pictures of Turner and and uh, Irving Fryer and Mike Rozier. Um, so, you know, it had the it had the momentum of belief uh, going into that season, and you know, I I still maintain that. Uh, you know, Turner Gill, when you talk about quarterbacks at Nebraska, he was kind of the guy that that uh, represented the transition to the to the option offense that that would eventually produce the national championships. But he he was a quarterback that could uh, he could have been a straight drop back passer and been successful, and uh, uh, but he could also uh, run with the ball and and help in that transition and. The other interesting thing about it was that it came down to Nebraska and Oklahoma and his recruitment, and uh, Nebraska won out. And in, and in fact, after the uh, 83 game, for sure, I remember, and it may have been some of the other games as well, but uh, um, after the 83 game, Barry Switzer came over to the Nebraska locker room to congratulate Nebraska, and the first person he went to was Turner Gill. 
um, and said, you know, I'm glad your eligibility is up because uh, you were a problem for us. Because, you know, Tom's teams had uh, a difficult time beating Oklahoma, uh, but that three-year stretch that uh, Turner was a quarterback, and, of course, he, he was uh, sidelined by the uh, by the time they played Oklahoma at 81. But um, uh, Nebraska won those three games, and up to a point, uh, other than the 78 game, Nebraska didn't have any success against very Switzer coach teams until a little bit later after that. So um, that's kind of the context that I that I remember. That 83 team was the one that sort of capped off that, that uh, three-season run against uh, Oklahoma, which is always how you evaluated whether Nebraska was successful or not was how you did against Oklahoma. Mike, some of the final scores from that year, just eye-popping, 80-plus points in a game against Minnesota. They were over 70 points a couple times. I mean, they just were – I mean, that was an unstoppable offense throughout most of that fall. Yeah, you know, and it was good. The, the Minnesota game, 84 points, and it was, it was exactly 21 in each quarter. I mean, there was perfect symmetry to that. Um, Nebraska, you know, because of the limit on the travel squad, I don't remember how many players they could take, but uh, Nebraska, uh, Osborne was putting uh, some of the first-team guys back in because the reserves were getting tired um, because they, Minnesota uh, took a chance. But Minnesota blitzed on almost every play, and uh, there were times where Nebraska would, uh, you know, the play would break open and there wouldn't be anybody uh, to catch a guy because of the the uh, because of the way the Minnesota blitzed, and uh, that was kind of the representative. Of, was it the uh, one of those games? Was it Iowa State? I forget which one. Where Nebraska scored 48 points in a in an NCAA record short period of time uh, in the third quarter. I think. Um, yeah, it was just incredible how that offense clicked. And then you get to the Oklahoma game uh, down in Norman, and, and uh, Oklahoma's defense did a pretty good job of uh, stopping Nebraska. Nebraska averaged 52 points a game that season, and 500 and I, had, I looked it up to get the exact number, 567 yards of offense <laughs> per game. I mean, the, the bowl games didn't count in the official statistics, but um, think about that. 52 points a game and 567 yards of offense per game. Just it, It's mind-boggling uh, what Nebraska was able to do. And they still huddled up, right? I mean, yeah. this is, this is yeah. before the, you know, the, the we don't huddle, we run quick counts. I mean, they were probably still – they still were having their different, you know, 30 seconds, 35 seconds between snaps of the football. You're right on that Kansas game. You, you nailed that. They had 67 at the end of the game against the Jayhawks. So that, that's Thanksgiving week, undefeated, ranked number one, trying to protect all of that, and then going to play your rival on the road. The pressure was all on Nebraska for this game, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, no question. There It was, and, and I, I think that uh... – Nebraska defensively, and the defense really stepped up. I mean, that's that's uh, that's what won the game for Nebraska down there because Oklahoma had a had a decent offense. But I but I think defensively, Nebraska had prepared for Oklahoma's wishbone, and I don't think Oklahoma ran a lot of wishbone. I mean, folks will see that when they watch the uh, the video, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, it, it struck me that. Uh, Nebraska prepared for the wishbone, and then Oklahoma didn't run a lot of wishbone in that game. 
and uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma had over uh, had 400 plus yards uh, total offense in the game, uh, but the defense stepped up and made the plays when it had to, and that was the that was the thing. It was it was rainy uh, that night, and uh, the other thing I remember about it was. Uh, I was working for the Journal and Star, and uh, we didn't get back the next day because there was a really bad uh, snowstorm in Nebraska. And uh, I forget where we stayed, somewhere in Kansas or something. We we just we couldn't get back cause of the, because the uh, highways were closed or whatever, uh, driving back. I'm sure a lot of Husker fans that had driven down there were in the same situation. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a, a late afternoon game, and it was uh, – it was kind of rainy, and and the other uh, interesting thing about it was that uh, Oklahoma didn't turn the ball over, and Nebraska only had one interception. That was it. And given the conditions, uh, you would have expected more, uh, probably. Mike, nobody's going to get busy with Mike Babcock of Hale Varsity. We're reminiscing about the game we're going to play back on Friday night, the 83 season, regular season finale, where Nebraska ranked number one, goes to Norman and beats Oklahoma 28-21. Nobody scored in the fourth quarter. You're talking about defense. A lot of people's image will be of the final play where Neil Harris knocks away a pass in the end zone. Oklahoma, I think, had it at the one, had a procedure penalty, moved him back to the sixth. And then Neil Harris bats away the fourth down pass to preserve the win. I bet a lot of people can still picture that in their mind. Neil Harris going up and swatting that ball away. Yeah, and and on a, it was it was fourth and nine because they they had uh, they had the procedure penalty and then they had uh, uh, Bradley uh, ran an option or something and he got knocked down for a three yard loss and so they had third and a nine and they threw a pass and I think the receiver uh, slanted into the end zone and. I, Unsure. I think the official, the official stats showed that uh, uh, Mike Knox got a hand on it. The linebacker tipped it, uh, but but the, some of the stories I think said that uh, uh, Neil Harris also had uh, deflected that one. Um, and then on fourth down, fourth and nine in the end zone, uh, he knocks it down. There's about uh, well, there's thirty uh, some seconds left in the game, and then Nebraska runs a couple of plays out and runs out the clock. But uh, Oh uh, yeah, that's the one. Uh, Harris making that making that play in the end zone, uh, and and I remember Osborne uh, saying that entire Oklahoma drive, uh, he was thinking, you know, how are we going to play the two point conversion attempt? Because he was convinced that if Oklahoma scored, uh, that Switzer would go for two and and play to play to win the game. Interesting. I was going to ask you whether they would. You thought they might go for two or just get the tie and spoil Nebraska's perfect season. Had you made your way to the field? A lot of times, riders with a couple minutes to go in the game make their way down to the field for the end. Were you down on the field or were you still up in the press box? You know, my sense was we were probably down on the field, but I don't have a good. I don't have a good yeah. recollection of that. Um, uh, whether uh, I was or not. The, the other thing, and I, and I don't have a good recollection of this either, but I'm pretty sure. This was the game where at halftime, uh, Bob Devaney was concerned enough that he had a either a lucky rabbit's foot or a lucky penny or something, <laughs> and he didn't have it with him. And he told Don Bryant to go out to the car and find it and bring it in. Um, and uh, and so Fox did. He brought it in, and and Bob had it for the second half um, because the way Oklahoma. Uh, played Nebraska in that first half and and really throughout the game but uh yeah I don't remember for sure if we we're down on, on the field but I'm but I'm pretty sure we were 
Um, and, and I know it was uh, really a damp night. Wow, what a great story. Well, uh, how things in Hale Varsity? I know the yearbook is out, right? Yeah, yeah, the yearbook is out, and, and we had a, a really uh, uh, a nice uh, feature, I thought, uh, in the context of the Times um, uh, conversation about race uh, with a, just um, several former Huskers. Uh, uh, Josh Mitchell was kind of the driving force behind it, but uh, Josh and Quincy and Nunwa, I'm going to forget somebody here, uh, I know Will Compton was involved in it, uh, Tariq Allen, Toby Okiemi, Amir Abdullah, Kenny uh, Bell, and I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. But uh, uh, really, just let them uh, talk, basically, and uh, that's kind of one of the centerpieces of the of the yearbook. And then there's a really a, a nice uh, feature. I thought Greg Smith did a great job on a on a feature on Wandale Robinson and his dad Dale. Um, but uh, yeah, there were there were uh, uh, Derek Peterson looked at uh, uh, ten years in the Big Ten, looking back at that. Um, and how it uh, benefited Nebraska, and from the point of view of those that he interviewed, um, it was all a positive thing. I've never been a big fan of the move there, but I understood why Nebraska did it. Um, You know, I'm an old guy, so I'd probably just assume it was still the Big 8, but um, there was a family kind of atmosphere there. You knew everybody, and and, uh, travel was good for the fans. Uh, that was one of the more important things. But uh, um, And then, uh, you know, Greg Austin, there's an offensive line story, uh, a story on DiCaprio Boodle. Um, just uh, uh, I think the, the player features are sort of in-depth and, and not, you know, all about uh, – the games and so forth, but uh, you get to know the get to know the uh, the student athlete a little bit. And then uh, I wrote a story about the, the football and uh, during World War II, um, what kind of changes had to be made in order to uh, to accommodate the football program. There was there was talk actually of uh, of uh, you know canceling the season. And uh, that didn't happen. Uh, oh, and one other thing, our, our legend story on Eric Eric Crouch. Uh, Eric talked about the uh, Black 41 flash reverse pass against <laughs> Oklahoma in 2001, which yeah. uh, didn't, you know, he said didn't work at all in practice all week. <laughs> and they were under the impression that they weren't going to run it. And then, uh, stunningly, it was called. And uh, for the first time all week, it worked. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was uh, interesting his recollections there. That's fantastic. Well, people can look for that. I think it's out in a lot of stores and uh, go find and get, get you a copy of that. I'm with you on the Big Eight. People ask me if I missed the Big Twelve, and I go, not 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 the Big Twelve. The Big Eight is for me. And you're right for all those regions and all those wonderful years and and the the proximity of everybody to us here. Uh, but got to keep moving. Things always are changing. You got to keep adapting with the times. Oh yeah, and even if Nebraska had stayed in the Big Twelve, that changed everything. You know, Missouri went, and Colorado went, and I mean, it the, the former Big yeah. Eight uh, fell apart. So, sure did. Uh, wouldn't have been the same anyway. Right, Mike. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Fun to go down memory lane, talk about that '83 team. One of the better Husker teams of all time, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Had uh, settled for a tie in the Orange Bowl, would have been national champs, no question. Yeah. Uh, 
and uh, you're playing against the entire city of Miami that night, and uh, and still, uh, I think Tom got a lot of credit nationally for for going for two and playing to win. Uh, it was a it was a really a highlight, I think, of, of the program under Tom Osborne was that attempt to go for two, play to win in a situation where you could have had a national title if you had just kicked the extra point. Yeah, good stuff. Mike, good to catch up. Stay healthy. Let's uh, let's hope we get some uh, get some game action going on here in a few months. Uh, you and your listeners, be safe. We think them up. We count them down. It's top ten Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. One of our favorite segments of the week, top ten Tuesday, and Ben. This is partly your brainchild for our topic tonight. Let, lay it out for him. What do we got? Yeah, well, uh, in light of the historic contract laid out by the Kansas City Chiefs, we thought, uh, why not figure out who we would pay in uh, in the sports world? Of course, there are a lot of athletes out there that that haven't been paid yet, and I think a lot of a lot of this reasoning for me came from a, a tweet that ESPN put out. I responded by calling it, I think I called it stupid, and it is, because if you were to do that same tweet a year ago, Patrick Mahomes would have been one of those players that you used in yeah. that same graphic. None of these guys have gotten paid yet. None of those guys have signed a contract that they will be signing. That let's Let's do that same exercise for that graphic you posted one year from now, and let's see what some of those salaries are uh anyhow i digress um the players that uh that should be paid or we would pay if we're if we're general managers players that maybe not patrick mahomes caliber contracts but guys definitely worth more than they're getting paid right now very good let me pull the soapbox away from ben austin how about this topic any trouble on this one you know not really the only the only trouble was cutting it down to 10 there are a lot of right. good young players a lot of players that you know it depends on what your definition of a payday is you know what guys have had a second contract but have overperformed that second contract where do you draw the line with that so a lot of mine is still guys on rookie deals that's a lot of my list but there are a couple in there who have had a second contract but are playing a little bit above it right now as well all right, Ben, as the father of this topic, you're going to lead us off. Yeah, my number 10 is a Las Vegas outlaw uh, honoree. He is one player that really burst onto the scene in the major leagues last year, and that's Pete Alonzo, still uh, not up for arbitration yet. But uh, you drop 50 dongs in a year, uh, yeah, you've got my attention, and you're probably worth more than the 650 k than you're making right now. He, he will win a huge arbitration deal. I mean, it's not going to be Cody Bellinger, Kristen Yelich worth, but uh, he'll be making uh, $20 million a year at some point in his career by the time he's done. Let's just say the Mets are soaking in the glory of having to pay him 650k right now. Uh, the New York Mets first base slugger for me is my number 10. Former uh, Florida Gator, correct? That's right. Yep. And for some reason, the owner of the Outlaws batted him ninth all season long. I don't. I <laughs> still don't he get hit, that. That's because he hit like a buck ninety where he should have been hitting. He got bumped up in the playoffs. <laughs> Austin. I actually stick in the city of New York, and I stick with baseball for my number 10. I've got Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, another 50-dinger candidate, but plays at Yankee Stadium instead of at City Field. He did win an arbitration case. He's making $8.5 million this coming season. But when he's healthy, he has been hurt a little bit. When he's healthy, he's 
he's good enough to be in that Yelich Harper Betts tier of Major League Baseball outfielders. A breakout year a couple of years ago. He's still really good, and he'll be making his sooner than later. Continuing my college career, he was a Fresno State Bulldog. Is he now? Did I see him in like a Subway commercial the other day? You guys seen that? He's ordering. It's either Subway. It's one of those sandwich shops, but he's ordering a sandwich and a guy's. It's pretty funny. I just saw it a couple days ago. All right, I'm leaving baseball. I'm going to go to the NFL for my number 10. I'm going Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. Last year made $2 million. Uh, the year before that, made $630,000. Uh, he's been offered a five-year, $175 million extension. Hasn't signed it yet with the Cowboys. And his name popped in my mind because we, were, we had a, a famous face-off topic, Ben. Oh, this has been a month or so ago, about name the top five passers last year in the NFL. We couldn't – he was one of them, and we were both kind of puzzled by that. But he's put up really pretty good numbers with the Cowboys. He had a he had a not-so-stellar year two years ago, and everyone thought he was regressing, thought maybe it was a one-year wonder for him after his rookie season. But I believe he led the NFL in passing last yeah. year. And then, and then the Cowboys go draft Jerry Judy and get him even more weapons and a lot of pressure for him to sign right now for sure. All right, what are we on here? Number nine? Did I not make a number nine? I think I have two number eights, so we'll bump this guy to number nine. Don't, don't be in Austin on it. <laughs> no, nope, I think I, I, think I skipped the number. Uh, I'm, I'll stick in the state of New York here for my number nine, uh, another guy that uh, deserves a heck of a lot more than he's being paid right now, just under $3 million a year. That paycheck will be much greater than that as soon as he signs his next deal. But um, not the city of New York, but the state of New York in Buffalo. Give me Tredavious White, former LSU Tiger corner, uh, one of the best young corners in the National Football League, an absolute steal right now for Buffalo keeping him on that deal. So Tredavious White, yes, ESPN, he was on your graphic. He will not be on your graphic next year. So you better find a new spot for a corner when you make fun of Patrick Mahomes' deal. <laughs> I'll stick in the same general geographic area, but go north of the border and to the hardwood. I've got Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors here. He's a guy that's really flown under the radar until the last couple of years. Out of college, he's just projected as an energy big guy, really no ball skills, struggled to dribble from end to end, let alone you know, make plays for others. But now he's he's a pretty legit two-way star on the wing for Toronto. They've really started to build around him after losing Kawhi. He stepped into that void and filled it admirably. In four years, $6.4 million on that contract for one of the top ten wings in the NBA. That's pretty darn good. Double-double machine. How many people do you think if we pulled could say, remember that they're the defending NBA champs? <laughs> Maybe a handful. I and mean, that he, seriously? He, was in the, he, he could have been the MVP of the, of the finals. Right. That's how yeah. good he was. Very easily. I mean, that has just totally been forgotten that they won the whole thing mm-hmm. 12 months ago, 13 months ago. I, I'm going baseball, and this guy's name Ben threw out a moment ago. I'm going Cody Bellinger, who signed, agreed to an arbitration figure of $11.5 million, which is huge. And I think he's an or, Orman Robo, too, isn't he not? He was. Indeed, he yeah, was. Okay. But look out. When this guy gets ready to sign a, a long-term deal, it's going to be through the roof for Cody Bellinger, and rightfully so. I think he's a heck of a player. He is. The only reason I left him off is because when he signs his deal, it's going to be year seven or eight by the time he's raking 25, 30 mil. I mean, he's, his contract will be worth, you know, 
hundreds of millions of dollars, but it'll be yeah. backloaded much like they are. He was a tough cut for me on my list. My number eight is uh, candidate number two on the ESPN graphic. They made it easy on me. Uh, and that's that's the second best tight end in the NFL behind Travis Kelsey, Mr. George Kittle from the San Francisco 49ers, making about a million dollars a year right now. Uh, you can all but bet that uh, San Francisco will not be lucky enough to have that benefit of paying that guy a million dollars a year when his uh, when his salary expires. So enjoy it while you got it, San Fran, because he will he might be the highest paid tight end in the NFL. He might pass Travis Kelsey just because of his age, but he will be uh, one of the highest highest paid. Uh, skill guys, let alone tight ends in the NFL. I saw a graphic today had him one and Kelsey two when they graded out tight ends in the NFL. You're kind of splitting hairs. I'm not trading Kelsey, but he's really good. He is. The big knock against Kittle, of course, is that he went to Iowa. So that drags his value down a little bit. (laughs) You had to pop the balloon, didn't you? And he lost the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. (laughs) (laughs) Also that. So there you go. All right, number eight for me, uh, Greg had Cody Bellinger. I've got a Dodgers teammate, but SNBL divisional rival of Cody Bellinger, uh, Walker Buehler of the Minneapolis Mammoths. I'm comfortable giving Walker bleeping Buehler a lot of bleeping money because he's set to take over for Clayton Kershaw <laughs> at the top of that Dodgers rotation. Now, he's making less than a million dollars a year. He's pitched well in the postseason, four-pitch mix. And here's the thing. I'm assuming at some point I'm going to lose him for a year to Tommy John as hard as he throws as much as they're going to work him I don't care I'm still going to throw the Brinks truck at him take your money Walker give me six good years thanks I think he's phenomenal great player yeah I think he's really good I'm going to the NBA next I'm going Trey Young here who signed his rookie contract pretty good deal 18 mil making about six mil a year but once that rookie contract comes to an end, this guy's gotten off to a phenomenal start in the NBA. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to put up eye-popping numbers in the league like he did at Oklahoma for that one year, but he really has. I think he's going to be just getting a gigantic deal when his time comes up here in a year. Greg, your eight is my seven. I've got Trey Young here. Ah. He's not Mr. Double-Double. He's Mr. Triple-Double. Yeah. Um, ended up in Atlanta. A lot of empty, empty stat lines for him because of of who he plays with and and how many losses that team suffers. But there's no doubt that he can do a lot of things very well on the basketball floor. He will get paid a lot of money. More on Trey Young coming up. So number seven. Teaser alert. (laughs) Teaser alert indeed. (laughs) Number seven, I I homered this one a little bit. I've got Quentin Nelson of the Indianapolis Colts, my Colts. So he's not an offensive tackle. He plays guard. So the Colts aren't going to have to pay him nearly as much as they would a tackle. But I think they might just because of how good he is and how well he fits what Frank Reich and Chris Ballard want to do. He's a guy, his energy, his attitude are absolutely contagious in that locker room in a good way not everything is these days but that energy and attitude are definitely the good kind of contagious he's so fun to have mic'd up he's a great guy in the community already doing a lot of good stuff he's he's a cornerstone of that line even from the middle so i'm locking quentin nelson up long term he might be the number one player that ticked me off in the nfl last year for what they did to kansas city they literally ran the ball every single snap and i thought that was going to be the turning point for the worst of kansas city season watching what the indianapolis colts did to Kansas City's front seven. That was hard to watch. That was the high point of my Colts season. Everything went downhill from there. So That might be as good an offensive line as there is in the league. He was an Outland Trophy finalist, Quentin Nelson was, out of Notre Dame. 
Great player. That's that's a good good get. That's, that's kind of an off-the-radar pull from you, Austin, but I, I like it. All right, my number seven, I'm going Juan Soto, who's still several years away from free agency. I think he's a budding MVP, the outfielder for the Washington Nationals, at a bargain price right now of 629000 for the Nationals. But, boy, when he comes time to sign a deal, it's going to be gigantic. I'm, I'm betting on the come on him. Future, All right. Put me down for a futures bet on him. <laughs> Future uh, talking point on the segment, maybe even, too. Who knows? We'll get there. Um, all right, on to number six. My number six, I've got Joey Bosa here at number six. Uh, I mean, pick your Bosa, really. I mean, both yeah. of them deserve to be on this list, but uh, I'll just pick the older one because I don't want to be Austin here and and uh, <laughs> and do the, the old slash. But, I mean, these guys are going to make – hundreds of millions of dollars and make Papa Bosa live very comfortably uh, by the time that this thing's all said and done. And uh, another another kudos to ESPN for making that selection rather easy for me. I will stick in the Los Angeles area. Greg Hadman, number nine. I've got Cody Bellinger here at number six. I think he's still just a half step down from Mike Trout, but Trout has the big contract. Bellinger doesn't. It's going to be quite something when he gets that money. No doubt. All right, I'm back to the NFL, and I'm sure a very interested spectator yesterday to the Patrick Mahomes news was Deshaun Watson, the quarterback of the Texans. Pretty good size rookie contract. Now, he's not going to get $503 million like Mahomes, but he's going to get a boatload. Uh, he has already shown he's a very high-caliber quarterback in the NFL. I think he's only going to keep getting better. Uh, I'm sure he's salivating at what Mahomes did yesterday, knowing his, his is probably coming up soon. The only question, Mark, for Deshaun Watson is he is uh, in an organization that they're not – they're Ricky Bobby. They're not sure what to do with their hands. Yep. So um, he, might, he might walk. He might be an unrestricted free agent. He might uh, – this could be a Dak Prescott times five type situation in Houston. So who the heck knows what's going to happen. Um, speaking of the state of Texas, I'm changing sports, changing cities, but staying in the Lone Star State. I've got Luka Doncic from the Dallas Mavericks here at number five. I think he is one step above Trey Young. I think this is, again, a triple-double machine, but a guy who is uh, a lot more versatile, can do a lot more different things. He can shoot. He can drive. He can defend. He can do so many different things well. He is a perennial star for the Dallas Mavericks, and he will be paid a bucket load of money when his rookie contract expires. He got a pretty good deal, as about as good as it gets for NBA rookies as it as it is, but um, old 77 for the Dallas Mavericks is going to get paid a ton. He is uh, the second of three NBA players I have on my list. Is there a story behind the number? I don't know why he. I know they wear a lot of high numbers in European countries, so maybe that's something that he grew up with or uh, has worn before. But I, I can't tell you. Are you guys a fan of those kind of numbers in basketball? I'm not. To me, it just looks ridiculous. I honestly, it's still a little weird for me in the NBA because you know in the NCAA you cannot have a second number higher than five. Yeah, so you don't right. see a 16, you don't see a 17, you don't see an 18. So it's still a little weird to me when I watch NBA and see uh, a number six or a number seven or a number 18, or in this case, a number 77 from Luka Doncic. Some quick digging on Luka Doncic and the origin story of 77. It was available when he joined the Slovenian national seniors team. He was playing for the juniors. They didn't have his number available at the seniors level, so on a whim, he took 77. 
There, there you go. go. I, and I knew there had to be something behind that because you just don't go randomly go, give me 77 when you're a basketball player. If you're an offensive you the, lineman, yeah. <laughs> you got the old 7-7 seven, seven hanging in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> He used to wear Luca number seven, so he just doubled it when he got to the national team. There so, you go. Simple as that. All right, number five for me. I go back to my Indianapolis Colts for this one. I had one of the offensive cornerstones. Come on, that's now. not allowed. You cannot have two Colts. Well, <laughs> at least I'm not doubling up on a number. So I'll take – I hope you take that as the lesser of it, two evils. I've got Darius Leonard here at number five. He's really a foundational piece for that defense. He's not just a tackler, that outside linebacker spot. He creates a lot of havoc. He's in the backfield constantly. He can cover sideline to sideline. Two pick sixes against Jameis Winston and the Bucks at the end of last season. Now, I know that's not saying a whole lot, but still, it's an outside linebacker with the ability to drop back and cover running backs and tight ends. He's not quite as versatile as a, a Derwin James, a Minka Fitzpatrick, a Tyron Matthew type. But again, he's another guy whose attitude and energy are great. He comes with a big chip on his shoulder. He can be a face of that franchise, and I'm willing to pay him for what he does on and off the field both. What was he, a third-round pick? Second, third, I think. Second or third-round pick, yeah. yeah. I watched him play against the Chiefs in the divisional round two years ago, and th- he was unbelievable to watch. I mean, he was literally all over the field. There, it, they call you don't him the get, maniac for a reason. Yeah, you don't get that many tackles by accident. That guy, that guy is a machine. Very, very good. Well, my five is Ben's five, Luka Donich. So Ben laid it out pretty good. I, I love, I love watching his game, and he's going to get paid handsomely when the day comes. Okay, on to number four. Uh, mentioned this team a little earlier in the show, and uh, he was circulating Twitter and making the rounds yesterday on, on some retweets with the way that his body looks from last year to this year. We'll get a chance to watch him very soon. I've got Ronald Acuna from the Atlanta Braves here at number four, another budding star, five-tool guy, um, could probably eclipse 30, 40 home runs this year. He might get as many stolen bases. Great defender. And just part of that young Braves core that uh, they probably will not be able to afford once some of these deals run out. But I've got Ronald Acuna from Atlanta here at number four and looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. He's fun to watch. I really enjoy his game. And there is a batch of young players in Major League Baseball that are pretty exciting. And he's certainly one of them. And I think my number four is another one. Oh, no, Austin's up next. I jumped you. Austin, sorry. No worries. I do like the Acuna pick. I left him off my list as much as I love watching him play because he did sign that extension. He settled for a little bit less to take some security. So because he signed a big enough deal, I left him off. But my number four has already been said. We could have skipped it. This is where I've got George Kittle. Very good. Okay. All right, my four, I'm going Mookie Betts, and kind of along the same lines, he signed the one-year deal with $27 million. He's going to get a bow load. Um, I, I'm anxious to watch him play even in this 60-game schedule to see how he fares. I think he's a terrific player. Um, so I, look out. This is going to be Mike Trout-type money, I think, when Betts comes to terms here in this offseason. Very good. On to the top three. Austin, uh, yeah, you, I might get some forgiveness from you uh, after <laughs> slandering this guy's name through the mud. Uh, I don't know if it was late last week or earlier this week, maybe even yesterday. I've got uh, Zion Williamson here at number three. And, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a young man that is going to make a ton of money in endorsements and make even more money with his contract with the Pelicans. Uh, just an unbelievable, unbelievable amount of money heading this guy's way. And, uh, already one of the faces of the league is he's one of the, the, the cover boys of the new NBA 2K game and 
uh, yeah, it's this is it's it's almost Zion's league right now. Uh, but it'll be even more so that when when he's fully healthy and NBA is back in the full swing. It was that cover that got us talking about, and that was our first topic in seven on seven on Thursday. That's right. Yeah. And I line up with you. I've got Zion here at number three as well for everything you just said. Wow, make it three for three. This is where I've got Zion. It would be higher, but I need to see a little bit more. I think it's there. I'm pretty sure it's there. And think about above what he's going to make for just his his team, whatever organization signs him. He's marketable. So, I mean, the money he's going to make off the field with his Jordan brand contract and some of those other things. Same thing with Mahomes. Mahomes is going to make so much endorsement money on top of what the Chiefs are going to pay him. And like Mahomes has kind of become the face of the NFL, I think Zion quickly is grabbing that mantle in the NBA. Yep, absolutely. Um, Okay, so my number two and my number one took by far the most thought. And I went back and forth. I struggled on, on, on who to pick. And, and I, I think I'm going to be s- different from you guys. I think I'm going to be flip-flopped. Um, I've got Lamar Jackson here at number two. And the reason why I have Lamar at number two is he and my number one are about the same age. Uh, their contracts are about the same right now. They both had chances in the postseason. One propelled his team to a championship, and one lost his team a championship. So I've got Lamar here at number two, but absolutely splitting hairs. Very easily could be a number one. Uh, I've got Lamar at number, number two. I actually line up with you. I was surprised he hadn't gotten an extension yet, but yeah, Lamar Jackson, whenever you can have a quarterback on a value contract like that, it helps flush out the rest of the team. Lamar will get his, but I think the Ravens' defense is so good. A lot of young guys on that too, so whenever he gets his bag, he's going he's gonna to have earned it. You guys are copying my notes. Dang it. I've got Lamar here as well. He made big strides this year. If we'd have done this a year ago, I don't think I, he would have made my list. I, he needed to show me a lot. He did. He showed me an awful lot this past year that he could lead teams, lead a team to a high, high level in the NFL. His passing got better. I think he's going to continue to get better. I don't think he's quite Patrick Mahomes, but he's pretty darn good. He's going to make a back the Brinks truck up to his house here in about a year and a half when that deal gets signed with with the Ravens. Okay, well, we're going to have at least two different number ones because my number one was mentioned already by Greg. A little surprised he had him this low with how highly he speaks of him and how highly he drafted him in in the SNBL. Uh, I kind of hinted at him when I distinguished the difference between my number one and my number two. I've got Juan Soto here at number one. Um, on a a moment of the World Series where it could have been too big for him. It definitely wasn't. And absolute five-tool guy. Burst onto the scene as a rookie. Took no steps backwards last year, and I think it's just a steady climb upwards. And this will be Mike Trout-esque money. Uh, Might even pass Mike Trout money, I think, just because of um, the – how how the the trend that we're going with the contracts not saying he's going to be better than Mike Trout but um, just in terms of what he's going to ask for and what he's going to receive I think Juan Soto will be one of the if not the highest played major league baseball players when the next batch of contracts come out what is he like 21 yeah yeah he doesn't become a free agent until 2025 so we're still five years away so he's going to have to he's going to be a steal for the nationals for at least a couple of years they'll start bumping that up through arbitration once he wins yeah once he wins arbitration yeah i think he breaks the arbitration record next time oh yeah yeah as long as he continues to trend that way 
love me the childish Bambino, but I said more on Trey Young at number one. I've got the guy he was traded for, Luka Doncic. You guys both had him at five. Luka's the best or the, the lead ball handler for the NBA's best offense. A great personality, absolutely gregarious. He's hilarious and he's globally marketable. Think about yeah. all Dallas can do with him from that front as well. He's a guy that you know, if the Mavs don't lock him up, I'm I'm meeting in his hotel room. I'm driving to his house. I'm making sure I get this guy on my team. He can bring my franchise so much on the court, so much off of it. He's only 21 right now, which is ludicrous to think about. He's still got a few more years before free agency. If I'm Dallas, there's no way I'm letting this guy test the waters at all. He's way too valuable. I'm going NBA as well with my number one. I'm going Giannis here. And not and Giannis right now is making 25. He's a free agent. See, in 2021. I think he's right up there among the top three or four players in the NBA. I think his next deal, because he's still got some tread on the tire, I think he's going to blow the roof off with his next contract. I doubt he stays in Milwaukee. I can see him going to one of the bigger markets, either the L.A.s or or Boston or or New York. Uh, But Giannis, who I'm a huge fan of, I think he's number one on my list. Yeah, he's a max deal guy, no doubt about it. Yeah. All right. Can we Twitter poll that somehow? Oh, yeah. We we have three different guys. We'll get it up. Very good. Ben, what is your first Olympic memory? First time you really kind of locked in and do that. And Austin, same question for you. This will be interesting because you guys are different age groups. Man, that's a great question. Honestly, I think it's the dream team. I think it's the dream. Yeah, I think I remember the – the, my first my first concept of a team USA was was 100% the dream team um, but you know first the first like athletes I remember watching I remember watching athletes like Tara Lipinski and um, yeah. you know you throw a throwback and uh, obviously Apollo Anton Ono and some of those other <clears throat> um, skaters and um, that those, those are some of my first like when I think of the athletes those are some of the first former USA athletes that I think of. For me, it goes back to... Well, 2008, I remember the Redeem team watching some of those guys. I was 10 years old at that point, and I didn't know really anything about just how crushing 2004 was for uh, the United States men's basketball team. But watching that collection of guys in 2008 is something I really remember. Uh, Kobe Bryant went off at the end of the final against Spain. You had LeBron doing LeBron things. Dwayne Wade was also huge in that. And I've never been yeah. a big D. Wade guy. I really wasn't, but... You know, it was hard hard not to cheer for him and what all those guys were doing back in 2008. Was 08 Beijing or was that Sydney? You guys remember? Beijing, I believe. Yeah, that was Beijing. Beijing 08. was 08. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Good hour. Fun with the top 10. Let's you still go vote on our top 10 final choices on our Twitter account at Husker Sports. Another hour to go coming up tomorrow night. Famous face-offs will be an hour too. Also another edition of the Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles. Tomorrow night subject, Alex Lewis. That'll be fun.